You know, sometimes we we tend to put the mixing stage as a very important stage. It is very important, but we tend to forget that the recording stage is as much, if not more important than the mixing stage. So getting it right at the source, this is something that I, this is one of the best advice I got. And I try to just work that out every time I'm in the recording studio. Welcome to Recording Studio Rockstars. I'm Lid Shaw, and this is the podcast created to help you become a rock star of the recording studio. Hey, rock stars, it's your host, Lid Shaw, and welcome to Recording Studio Rockstars, bringing you into the studio to learn from recording professionals so that you can make your best record ever and be a rock star of the studio yourself. My guest today is Chris Salim, a musician music producer, and recording mixing engineer. Chris is renowned for his work in the French Christian music industry, having produced and mixed artists globally in Canada, USA, France, Belgium, and Switzerland. Chris has mixed and produced more than 75 albums over the past 14 years, and remarkably works remotely with many of these artists over the internet from his home recording studio near Montreal, Canada. Chris's credits include Canadian Christian artist Liana Klassen, a Covenant Award winner, Canadian version of the Dove Awards, and Juno nominee, and French Christian artists Impact, Seb Demery, Luc Dumont, Andrian, and Peggy Polito, to name a few. Chris is also the creator of Mixdown.online, a resource website and YouTube channel designed to help you with your music production, recording, and mixing skills through cool tutorial videos and blog articles. Chris is a good friend of mine. He has an awesome Roland Space Echo and a really cool modern red couch in his studio. But more importantly, he is joining us on the podcast today to help us learn how to work with remote clients more effectively. He will be showing us nine tips on recording, mixing, and producing clients remotely. So get out your notebooks and get ready to rock. Please welcome Chris Salim to Recording Studio Rockstars. Chris, are you ready to rock, dude? Je suis prêt, mon Lidge. Oh, I love it, man. Je suis, je suis primo. Primo is, is ready? Is exactly, right? yeah. Okay, okay. I how am about, ready. How Lidge. about ready to rock? How do you say that en français? Oh, boy. It's not something we say a lot. What um, do you guys say? You just like, um, passez-moi la du vin? Actually, we don't, we don't rock much. <laughs> you don't rock much. <laughs> so, I, I don't know. It's a, it's a hard one to, uh, to translate. Well, all right, man. Well, well, we'll dig in anyway. I know you guys are making some great music. Tell us, you know, I've, I've done a brief introduction of you, but tell us more about who you are, how you got into music. Tell us a little bit about Mixdown.online. Oh, okay. I'm, I'm going to have to go back to my childhood, okay? Where uh, at age 14, I remember in high school where my teacher was asking the class what we wanted to be when we grew up, you know, what kind of career we were, we were looking into. And I remember writing on the sheet of paper that I want to be a music producer. And it's a funny thing, because back then I, I was playing drums. Uh, that was my main instrument back then. I started to play drums at age 12 in, in church. This is where I started to play. And so getting back to uh, the school story, that was the only thing I was doing. So I wasn't recording anything. I wasn't to, um, you know, music production. Didn't have any uh, computer uh, to record with, nothing. So, but I knew uh, I wanted to be a music producer. 
So I loved music. I was very fascinated with music. And so that was my goal at that point. And the, uh, the funny thing is the teacher replied to me by saying, you know, uh, find something else, you know, <laughs> find like a real job or something, you know, so a that, real career, you know. <laughs> but that's kind of insane though. Like you at 12, you knew you wanted to be a music producer? At 14, actually. Yeah. Oh, okay. Still at 14. That's pretty impressive. I mean, I, I didn't even know I liked music until I was probably 18. No, that's not true. I knew a little bit before then. <laughs> Your teacher's trying to give you some real advice, which is yeah, exactly, don't go into music course. production. Exactly. Become so, a music teacher? Not even. <laughs> like, <laughs> don't get into music, basically. <laughs> so what happened afterwards, you know, was a church drummer played at the, the youth uh, meetings. And then I started to play in a band. And it was a pretty serious band. So we uh, released a, um, our first French album. That was back in 95. And we ended up uh, playing in France. So that was my first overseas um, trip. So it was, nice, that, that was kind of cool, you know. You, you go and you travel with your band, you, you go on tour, even if it was only for one concert. So it wasn't a tour per se. What did we spend a week there and just to, uh, you know, uh, preparing for our show? And then, uh, yeah, and then in France, we actually opened for a uh, well-known band at, at the time, a Christian band called Petra. Oh, right um, on, man, right on. Yeah, très bien, so we did, très bien. <laughs> so it was, it was pretty cool. And um, so at that point, I knew I was, I wanted to, uh, to do music and live out of, uh, of my art, you know, as a musician. Well, that's um, cool. So, so, so you're a drummer at first, right? Yeah, exactly. Can you give us a beatbox? A beatbox? Yeah. What do you got for us? Oh, my goodness. Okay. Sorry to put you on the spot there, but that's all right. Thanks, Lidge. Uh, uh, you can put me on the spot later. Um, well, that's sure. cool, man. How do you think that being a drummer has influenced you in your production style or the way you approach a record? Okay, I would say like being tight, being on time is something really important. Like the groove is something really important. Like most of the um, the work I do in the studio, all, most of the albums I produce, I end up playing the drums um, until this, these days. You know, once in a while, I'm going to hire a drummer that is better than me, you know, depending on the genre and the style of music I'm working mm -hmm. on. So if I'm working on a gospel, kind of a black gospel type of uh, R&B stuff, I'm going to hire someone because that's not my type of, uh, of drumming, you know? Right. That's a really stylistic approach. Yeah, exactly. Um, to get back to uh, the story I was saying about that band, we ended up, because I'm going to link everything back to your question afterwards. Okay, okay. Okay. We decided to leave the French uh, market so, and we decided to go towards recording an English album, which we did. And we ended up recording a demo in Nashville. In your town, buddy. Why, why didn't you call me, man? <laughs> <laughs> and uh, yeah, so we worked with a producer uh, in Nashville. We had management in Nashville. So the goal was to build a, um, a press kit, a demo, you know, to shop for a label and stuff. And I was, I think I was uh, 19 or so, 19 or 20, something like that. And um, so I wasn't that experienced as a studio drummer. So that was actually one of my first recording experience as a drummer. So it was a bit rough, you know, and the, uh, the, like the bandmates I, um, I was playing with back then, uh, they were a bit older than me and they had a bit more experience than myself. So uh, I did the recording and we, uh, I remember being in the record, the, um, the control room, listening to the tracks and it was okay, but not quite it. 
you know, so we uh, we decided to um, hire a session drummer for the demo. Oh, man, your first studio experience as a drummer, yeah. and you've got to give it up already. E exactly. So that was pretty rough, to be honest with you. You know, so uh, that was a rough one. But at the same time, I uh, ended up meeting uh, Chris McHugh. We, uh, you know, he's a famous country drummer. Mm -hmm. Back then, he was uh, he was a drummer for uh, Christian band Whiteheart back in the 90s. Uh, very, very good drummer. So you actually probably saw him playing at the Grammys more than once. Okay. And um, so that was an amazing experience just to see this professional session drummer, you know, recording drums in a professional studio. I actually learned a lot. And I told myself it was going to be the first and last time that was going to happen, you know. So from that point on, I just practiced my art, practiced my drumming on the click and the click became my friend. Yeah. And then when I uh, started my recording career as a producer and as a musician, uh, th that part was very, very important, you know, to be tight, to be on the click, but at the same time to um, to feel the song and to play the song. So uh, without the click being, uh, without being slave to the click, but having the click slave to you, if that makes any sense. Yeah. Well, there's this expression of bury the click, you know, where yeah, when, exactly. when somebody gets so tight playing to a click track that you almost don't, you don't hear the click anymore because it's just buried in the kick and the snare sound. No, exactly. And, um, you know, the, the guitar player I played with back then, Ken, my good friend Ken, um, that guitar guy was like so tight, you know, that is, is part of his nature. And uh, the joke, uh, you know, the joke we, we made back then was uh, saying that he was born with a click in his butt, you know. <laughs> <laughs> born with a click in his butt, I love it. So, um, and I remember when on my first uh, recording production in 2003 it was a live album and um, during that album we recorded a uh, it was like a medley an acoustic medley mm -hmm. that we played live so it was like ken playing uh, the, his acoustic guitar with another uh, guitar player and the the artist in front of 2000 people and the way i um i did the session i you know we recorded the uh, the entire concert once and the day after we recorded the same set list in front of an empty hall Okay, to have like an option and do some editing afterwards, but not for this specific song because this song wasn't on a click. So it was a medley, an acoustic medley. So it was, you know, you go with the flow and stuff. Yeah. Now, his guitar was just, just slightly like not tuned well, but you, you, you oh know. Oh boy. Yeah. Oh boy. So when we, we got back in this, into the studio and we uh, listened to the playbacks, we were like, wow, what the heck is this? Man, your guitar is off. You know, you're out of tune, my friend. Yeah. And um, so there was no way for us to do a bit of montage and stuff and to do editing because that was the only take we, we had. And something special was happening with the, uh, the singer in the crowd. So, you know, the crowd was singing the songs and stuff. So there was no way it was not, it wasn't an option to um, to get that song off the album. Mm -hmm. So can that freaking tight guitar player, <laughs> we um, ended up re-recording his own guitar in the studio without any click because he, he didn't play with a click but, right. uh, on the live show. But he was able to play the entire song to redo the exact same thing he did at the recording time. So he was able to play the part exactly the same way and make it feel yeah. like it was the real deal like glitch it was exactly the same but um but it was in tune this time <laughs> this time it was in tune so if you listen carefully you could probably if you have some like good ears you could probably hear 
the sound of the room, you know, where right. you, you could hear the 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 kind of out of tune guitar, you know, on the natural reverb of the room. Hey, if you listen very carefully, but you know, you know, some of the best reverbs are lexicon reverbs and um, the uh, Nimbus and R four are two new reverbs um, with exponential audio, and both of those I noticed that um, they are designed to have chorusing effects built into the reverbs. And there that's part of what makes a really great sounding reverb. So who knows, maybe having the slightly out of tune guitar in the room with an in-tune guitar up front actually sort of created a better room sound for it all. Yeah, the real story, we did that on purpose just to get that sound. There you go, there you go. Um, <laughs> well, I like hearing your story, how it kind of started out getting beat up as the drummer and then it was the guitarist's turn. And, you know, it's true for everybody in that process of going into the studio for the first time or even playing gigs in certain situations and you just have to go through those mistakes to learn them and yeah. finally understand them. And sometimes the only way you're ever going to get really good at preventing those mistakes is by experiencing them the first time around, you know? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. At some point you need to face, um, to hit the wall to get better. Yeah. And to, yeah. So hit the happens. wall, hit the wall. Well, so I like to ask guests to share an inspirational quote, something to get us excited about hitting the studio. Have you got anything for us that you'd like to share with the rock stars, Chris? Yeah, I got something here. This is a cool quote. Like once in a while on my Instagram feed, I, I post like a very nice picture with a quote. So I love quotes. And the one I posted this week was pretty cool. It, it says, the goal isn't it to live forever, but to create something that will. Nice. Nice. So we're not just making music for ourselves. We're making music to, you know, be there for everybody else forever. That's, that's a bold statement too. It um, is. Do you feel like that really applies to us all? I mean, how does that apply to somebody who's like, I just want to make music for fun, you know, or are we making music that needs to sort of make an indelible stamp on the world forever? Um, I think it depends for, uh, it depends on the person, you know, I would say, for most of us, that's the goal. For most of us, you know, creating is very important, you know, as musicians, as creators. Yes, there's some of us we will only do music and make music only for fun. Yeah, that happens, you know. But when we're talking about people that are creating, that are writing music, you know, writing lyrics, when you, you get your guts out on a sheet of paper <laughs> and, uh, you know, on tracks and stuff, recording your music, your craft... I'm, I'm, I'm going to have a hard time to believe it's only for fun in a sense, you know, there's, you know, maybe a part, there's always a part that wanted to be a bit more than just the fun part, you know, well, the, from what I, you know, I one, one takeaway for me too, is this idea of goal setting that creeps into everything we do. If you want it to, you know, whether yeah. you're training for a marathon, that was sort of my first example is that I decided I wanted to learn how to run a marathon and crazy enough, I wanted to learn how to run it barefoot too. That's a whole nother story. Yeah, um, I'm gonna. You're gonna need to tell me more about that later on. <laughs> so, so I got halfway through my training, and I realized it was just too much for me, and I had to finally just make this reluctant decision to cut my goal in half and do a half marathon. Um, yeah. and it was really sort of a bummer at first, but later on, I realized as I finished a half marathon, you know. Uh, and did the entire thing barefoot. I got to the end. I was like, wait a minute, I just ran a half marathon barefoot, you know? <laughs> and it was like, it, it only was possible because I set that original goal that was a big goal that I still, you know, achieved something yeah. that was really a big deal for me at that time. And so I could see that applying to music too. It's like, you know, if you try to create something that lasts longer than you do, 
and set your sights really high like that, even if you create something that is, you know, that doesn't last forever and, you know, you're not the next Beatles, um, it does influence the quality of your work. And, you know, you're going to end exactly. up making something that is so much better and that is really quite good as a result exactly. of setting your sights there. So that's cool. Yeah, definitely. Well, so now, um, how about uh, also sharing with us a story about an important failure, which you kind of did with your your drumming experience, but do you have any uh, good anecdotes for kind of a nightmare in the studio? A nightmare, yeah, yeah. I have a few, but, you know, this one is in particular is quite crazy. That was uh, eight years ago, I think. We were starting our day, me and my production partner, Jimmy, and we were um, at that time, like even today, but at that time I had a lot of work. Um, the schedule was crazy. So we started our day, opened up the computer, opened the, uh, my, my Cubase session and wasn't able to find my session. My session was lost. And I was looking at the computer, looking at the drive and stuff. Okay, the drive is not there. I said, whoa, rebooted the computer, look for the drive again, it's gone. So my working hard drive was not present. In my uh, in my windows so I start to freak out so I know something was uh, something was going wrong and I just took the drive went to the computer shop in my town here in Saint-Hyacinthe and the guy was um, took the drive try it out and told me you know your drive is dead there's nothing to do with this you know throw that in the garbage I said whoa now the thing Lidge is I was very bad with backups back then so I had to, to learn the hard way. Yep. So my last backup was three weeks old. Now it doesn't seem like a long time, but you know, in my situation, three weeks was, you know, worth maybe 10 grand of work that was done, you know, within these three weeks, like brass session wow. recordings and stuff. And, you wow. know, like, you know, recording that it was not only mixing stuff, but a lot of recording stuff that's going to be very hard to recreate. So I need to do something with, uh, with that drive. So I called a company in Montreal that was specialized into, uh, for data recovery and stuff. Mm -hmm. And I called them and they told me, okay, we'll pass you right away. It's going to be 150 bucks just to look at the drive. And um, they looked at the drive. They called me back a few hours after, uh, letting me know that one part was defective. So they have to order a new part, but there's no guarantee they're going to be able to retrieve all the data. Wow. So um, that weight lasted three days. I lost like 10 pounds <laughs> in three days. <laughs> and uh, they called me three days later. I said, you know what? We, we almost succeeded on retrieving all of the data, but you know, it, another part of the, uh, the drive was defective. So basically uh, the day after they called me back and saying, everything's okay. We retrieve all of the data and here's your new hard drive. So um, that's pretty incredible. I, I actually have heard stories from friends who had hard drives go down and then they found a company online that would yeah. rescue their drive through the internet. There's actually accessed it or something. And it okay. was like $1,200 for them to go through and, you know, incrementally rescue all yeah. their data. So it co it cost me uh, $1,800. Oh back my then. God. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> that's a lot of work, dude. It, it is, but I got a free hard drive. So you got a free hard drive. You, there you, go. you basically had an $1,800 lesson on backing yep. up your data and making, you know, realizing the importance of it. And you don't exactly. know that stuff initially, you know, initially nope. you just bust your butt making a record. You work really hard on creating stuff. You end up with doing a bunch of projects and then your hard drives are getting full. And, you know, you might find that that's, you know, you need to do it at some point, but you forget to do it. 
And it's when it catches up with you and catches you exactly. by surprise that it really, man, really, it, you know, you freak dad. out. You freak out when that happens. Yeah. But when you, you know, when you pay the the company eighteen hundred dollars to get your data back, you, you know, even if it's a lot of money, you're happy. <laughs> Trust me. Yeah. Well, it's that's a relief, great. You know? It was eighteen hundred dollars. Basically, you you know, it was uh, eighteen hundred dollars to get whatever uh, eight thousand two hundred dollars worth of material back. Exactly. Or Ten thousand. Yeah, so learned my lesson. Math. <laughs> All right, cool. Well, Chris, let's jump forward to the thing that we're so excited about, which is getting into sharing your nine tips with, with yeah. the rock stars. You have graciously agreed to share with us nine tips on recording, mixing, and producing clients remotely because you have a lot of experience with that. Maybe give us a brief introduction to what it means to record remotely, and then we can get into your, your teaching today. Yeah, so... If I go back to when I started producing, it was through some some artist, Christian French artist that I was friend with, you know. So I record that first live album I was telling you about earlier, and from that point on, you know that that album was uh, was being distributed in France, Switzerland, you know, all these French countries in Europe, and so I ended up working with a lot of French artists afterwards. Um, so I remember having my first. Uh, my first call out of Paris. Somebody was, uh, it was back in 2006 when I got that call and I thought it was a friend making fun of me at that, at that time. <laughs> um, so I was actually, you, you know, trying to figure call. out who, exactly. I thought it was a prank call and I was trying to figure out who was, who was the guy teasing me, you know? So it was for real. So that was my first international, if I can say client. And, um, so I jumped right into the, uh, like we say, uh, remote uh, remote recording or production. And that was back in 2006. And back then it was a bit harder than it is today. Okay, yeah, so, right, right. Okay, with the internet connections and the high-speed uh, internet uh, connections and stuff, they, was, they weren't as fast as they are today. So it was a bit of a challenge. In that case, back in 2006, we did a few things remotely, but they flew in to record some vocals and stuff. And I think they were here for the pre-production of the album as well. But afterwards, I produced a lot of artists remotely, meaning that I work on the arrangement, the pre-production of their songs remotely. Okay, so they send me a song with guitar vocals or just piano vocals, okay, just to have an idea of the song. And me and my team, we work on the arrangements. We do the pre-prod, we do the, the actual recording and with the artist out of the studio. Like out of the country, basically. Yeah. So okay. you're, I mean, I think that's the initial head scratching question for anybody when they hear about recording remotely is you're thinking, well, how do I record somebody? I mean, don't they have to be right in front of my microphone right here? Yeah. So it sounds like part of the concept is that, you know, you, you're a drummer, so you're producing the drums yourself right there in your studio. You maybe have great musicians right there in Montreal, so you're able yeah. to bring them in and produce the tracks while the artist who's the singer is over in France, for example. Exactly. They have the songs, I have the team. Well, so keep telling us more about that. What are some of the first things that people hope to be able to do when they're making a record remotely with you that you have to you know, debunk as far as myths? Are there things that people expect to be able to do? Or is it more that nobody thinks they can do anything and then you surprise them at how much is possible? One of the, the questions I get a lot from artists that want to work with me but are afraid a bit is the um, how are we going to do this how are you going to be able to arrange my songs without me being there yeah 
So that that is one of the main questions I get a lot. So how are you going to manage to give me what I want without me being there? Yeah. So what's the first step in something like that? So first of all, the number one tip I have is to build the trust from the start. Okay. okay so building building this tr the, the trust is um, is very important. This is going to set the tone for the rest of the project. Okay, let's say I'm um, w when I meet for the first time, I meet a client that is overseas and wants to record a production with me. You know, we we get into a, a Skype call. We, I um, I make the connection. I make I contact the the client. We talk. So there's a lot of talking, a lot of communication going on, and I set up the tone by explaining to the client all the steps, all the production steps I am going to do on his album. Okay, starting with pre-production arrangements, what that means. And then what we're going to do is we're going to jump into the recording and what that means. And this is where we're going to hire some session musicians and I'm going to play the drums and, you know, we're going to record everything we arranged in the first phase of the recording. So I separate that into phases. Right. So, and that, that's a kind of knowledge and understanding that you have now because you've done this before, right? You've, you've been exactly. through the experience enough to sort yeah. of analyze your own process and be able to educate somebody right at the start of what that's going to look like. Um, yeah, exactly. What advice might you have as far as communicating that stuff when you're earlier on, when you don't really understand it all so much yet? Like, what do you remember about trying to communicate and building that trust before you really, really knew what it was going to be like? Um, yeah, that's a good question. I mean, was it just sort of like you, you kind of had a feeling for what it might look like and you, you just start there? That's what I did. Yeah, exactly. Just trust your own process. At some point, yeah, you know, you have a process, you know, everyone has his own process on making his own music. So I think you can start by using this process to apply to an online production process. But, what, what, you know, it doesn't matter the process you use, you just need to explain it well to that's great. The, uh, the client, you know? I think that's great advice because I think for people listening, you know, they might have a first reaction thinking, wow, that's so cool that Chris is doing this, but I don't know how to do all those things that he's doing yet. And how would I explain it? And I think that's great advice. It's like, trust your own process and just yeah. carefully explain it to people. Ahead yeah, of time. The, the, the key is to explain it well to the client, to yeah. the artist you're going to work with and don't brag, you know, <laughs> don't right. brag about stuff you did and don't you just, you know, you need to be clear and transparent Yeah, and you need to be, uh, yeah. And, you know, something that is going to gain a lot of trust from the client as well is when it's talking about money. This is something you need to do in the first stage. Right. Of talking. This is another advice I have for you guys is to um, be transparent when it's about money issues. You know, so you need to talk about how you're going to manage money, how you're going to how the money thing is going to work out throughout the project. Yeah. And once you get, you know, into these specific money thing, you know, um, at that point, if they can trust you on with money, they can trust you with anything else. Well, you know, I think one of the challenges with money conversations is when you feel like you don't have an answer, you know, people always want it. They just want to say, how much is it going to cost? And there are some things that you feel like you can answer that accurately where you can say, oh, it's going to, it'll be this much to do this thing. But then there are other things where you're like, I don't, how do I do that? I mean, sometimes it takes long, sometimes it's quick. And I, I've learned that when you're transparent about saying what you can't really answer, that that also builds trust with people. Yeah, a lot, for sure. Yeah. Exactly. So don't feel like you have to be a know-it-all for every question. Yeah, because if, if you do, it sounds a bit too fake, in my opinion. Yeah, trust me, man. I'm, I'm faking it all the time. No, just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> um, awesome. All right, what's our second tip for today? Yeah, second tip is listen to your client's needs. 
Okay, something that is very important, especially if you're producing the album. And even if you're only mixing the album. Now, mixing online is a bit more, I would say, a bit more easier because that is, is it's more common these days. You know, we have mastering services, mixing services that are online. But, you know, production, like an entire production made online, this is a bit more complicated. So it's really important to listen to your client's needs, meaning that you need to ask them questions. This is something I do when I first meet with a client. I always I ask a lot of questions. So I don't talk a lot about myself. I ask a lot of questions. I want to know them more and I want to make sure I'm on the target when I'm going to work on their music. Okay. So ask him about, you know, the music they love, what they listen to, um, you know, asking them to um, give me some music references so I can, um, you know, it's going to help me give, you know, giving me ideas for the arrangements and mm -hmm, stuff mm -hmm. if it fits with their songs, you know, and knowing them well enough to, advise them on the references they, they gave me. So let, let's say, for example, I have that, you know, that person I'm working with and she sends me, uh, let's say, some Alicia Keys references. And when I listen to her songs, you know, they sound country. Right. You know, so I'm going to have to know the person well enough to advise them that maybe the reference you, send, you sent me are not well suited for your songs, the songs you wrote. So, um, yeah, so there's a lot of, that going on as well. You know, so basically or, or you just ask need... them what it is about these references that make you excited. Cause it might be something not so obvious. It might not be the exactly. drum sound and the guitar sound and the keyboard exactly. sound. It might, or the, even the tempo, it might be like, Oh, I just like how bold she is about saying that she was crying in this one line or something like that. You know? Exactly. Cause that's a good point, Lidge, because when I listen to a reference, you know, I'm going to listen to the entire production or maybe the drum groove. I'm a drummer. So I'm probably going to focus more on the groove, maybe on the separate, you know, choruses and verses, what, you know, all these differences in, in two different sections of the songs. I'm going to listen as a music producer would listen. Uh, but yeah, a client or an artist could, you know, give you a reference based on the reverb sound on the, vo on the vocal, you know? Yeah. I and think, something I, very silly as that. So I agree with you. I think that listening to a client and remembering that what they hear is not going to be the same thing that what that you hear. You know, you may you may find exactly, yeah. parallels, but that's the beauty of collaborating with people is that you know they the person you're working with pulls draws different inspiration from things. So finding out what that yeah. is, and you need to produce for the client and not produce for yourself. And this is something I learned. Yeah, I learned it the hard way as well. You know, this I remember back in uh, when I first started, I was working with that artist from a local artist from Montreal. And I was so into it as a music producer that I took, you know, everything personally. Right. And I remember, I remember, you know, we were arguing a lot, you know, I was arguing a lot with the artist. And at some point I just told the artist, you know what, if, if that's what you want, no problem. I'm not going to put my name on your album. You know? <laughs> I love it. Man. And, you know, and arguing in French is so <laughs> awesome too. You know, it's like, it's like a Monty Python movie or something. Exactly. Hurling, hurling the cow that's over awesome. the ramparts of the castle, you know. <laughs> <laughs> oh, so yeah. So poor girl, I made her cry. And uh, that was a very, uh, yeah, that's another, uh, another not too proud moment of my production career. Wow. Wow. So turned out good afterwards, but yeah. So lesson I learned, the lesson I've learned out of this is, you know, don't produce for yourself, produce for your client, give the client what she wants, what they want. And this way they're going to come back. Yeah, indeed. Well, that's great. All right. So um, now how about our third, or does that wrap it up for number two, listening to the client? Yeah. Are we ready yeah. for tip number three? I'm going to say write a production or mixing agreement. So whatever you're doing as a service, if it's a mixing 
uh, service you're offering online. Uh, make sure you have an agreement. It doesn't need to be complicated. Just need to have everything uh, well written. Like, for example, if it's a mixing agreement, you can talk about, you know, um, a, a limit on revisions, for example. That is going to have to be in the, in the agreement if that's your thing. If you limit yeah, the revisions that uh, are available for uh, for you to work on the mixes, uh, you need to write everything down. If it's a production, I always have a starting date or a starting month, basically, mm-hmm. and the end date or end month. You know, so the production is going to be uh, between starting like in April and going until maximum October, for example. Because it all depends on the client schedule as well. Like in my case, and for a lot of us, you know, we're not going to be dealing with artists that are doing music on a full-time basis. Right. That happens. Right. But we're dealing with artists that are doing that on a part-time basis. They have like a real job, if I can say that. But um, they have like a nine-to-five, Monday-to-Friday work week. So you need to work around their schedules as, as well. So meaning that an album on a regular full-time basis would probably last maybe three months. In the case of a regular client, <laughs> would last maybe six to eight months. Well, that's um, very interesting. So one of the things that just occurs to me too is when you're working remotely with somebody who's overseas, you've got a time difference. So that must work out to your benefit too, in that you get to work a regular daytime schedule if you want to, and that happens to be a nighttime schedule for them when they're free after work. That happens a lot, <laughs> which That's is great. very good. That's great. <laughs> Especially with my clients in France. And uh, I have one working with me at the moment. Uh, she's from Lille de la Réunion, which is on the east coast of Africa. Wow. It's so, a small French island. Yeah. And so, Rockstar's a reminder, if you happen to be a night owl and you want to only at work at night, make sure that you're trying to pick up clients <laughs> in the west, not in the east. There you go. (laughs) (laughs) You could be like a New York producer and uh, only work with clients from California just so you get that, you know, benefit of the extra four hours, four or five hours. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) So, yeah, so write a production and mixing agreement. So put everything in that agreement. Everything you think of, you think it's important to put in. Like, you know, date on the delivery of the product, for example, and payment policy. This is something really important. So you have to put the payment policy in the agreement, you know. So on my side, what I usually do is I always know I divide the project into different stages. Right. So right. when I go into pre-production, what I ask the client before we start that stage, I ask for the amount of money it's going to cost me to work that stage out. You know, so I get all I always get paid in advance. That's great. Especially so there when might I'm be working remotely. There might be an initial pre-production payment. Then there might be a, a tracking yeah. payment. Then there might be exactly. a post-production payment and a mixing payment, I guess, you know, exactly. if, depending if you're really yeah. spreading it out over a bunch of time. Yeah, exactly. Or you can go by monthly payments. But what I do, if it's, a, it's on a monthly basis, I just arrange the schedule according to the payments. It's funny to say, but yeah. So let's say in April, the client gave, you know, send me, a, send me some money. Um, so in April, I'm going to, you know, work that X amount of hours, depending on the money uh, they transferred. I think that's a great tip about breaking up the payments and breaking it up into sections. For somebody who hasn't done production or mixing enough to really understand their own process or what it might look like, what are some typical segments or sections you want to recommend that they consider starting with? Uh, I'm going to start, I'm going to recommend starting by the arrangement part of the production. So that's always the first part I work with. So I sit down with the, on Skype, with the client we um, I listen to the songs, so there's 
yeah, there, so that is part of the arrangement. Uh, I'm going to evaluate the work that needs to be done. I'm going to start working the arrangement with my production partner. So I always collaborate when it's time to do arrangement. I don't like working alone. I do it when I have to, but I love collaboration. And that is a plus for the client anyways, for the end product. So, but this is the first section, arrangements or pre-production, whatever you want to call it. And the way I set that up into my DAW is it's in a way that it's going to be easier to get into the recording stage afterwards, because that is going to be my second stage, the recording stage. And then I'm talking about, I'm going to start with drums, bass, guitars, piano, all the, the instruments, and then going to the vocals. Yeah. Even if we have like a crappy vocal take that we're going to keep during the arrangements, the main vocal is going to be into the recording stage. So the recording stage can also be divided into two parts, the music and then the vocals. Yeah. So um, we're almost getting into maybe some of the other tips here. But one thing that I want to point out as a reminder for you rock stars, in case you haven't been there before, is we think of Skype or Google Hangouts and these video chat tools, FaceTime, you know, uh, what there's a new one from Google called Duo, which is another FaceTime uh, kind of thing. Okay. And they're all very, very cool. And they allow us to see each other and communicate and hear each other and stuff. In fact, Chris and I are using Skype right now for this interview. Chris is in Montreal. I'm in Nashville. But it's just a reminder. It's still a one-way communication at a time. So you can't play music together you can't sing a harmony while somebody else is singing and strumming a guitar over Skype. What you can do is somebody can play their song to you and then you can then pick up your guitar and play them back an idea. And then they can, so it's sort of like a back and forth, sort of like, yeah, exactly. you know, think about it like old school walkie talkies where you have to go over and out. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Yeah, you're right. <laughs> but you know, something I did uh, on a production not too long ago is I actually asked the, uh, the artist to sing me the verse the chorus of her song on the click. So I give her the tempo and record yourself with your iPhone. I don't care. Follow the click, sing to me the verse, sing to me the chorus, the bridge, send me these files. So, Very and then cool. I use these files as dummy tracks to craft the, the arrangement. Cool. And cool. Um, just don't, yeah. don't tell your client they're called dummy tracks. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, well, that's awesome, point. man. I like that. That's really cool. And I, I like that somebody with even an iPhone and some sort of metronome can send you something simple. Maybe we're going to get into that in a minute, but I imagine that that's one of the challenges for working remotely. Now, remember, Rockstars, we're not talking about recording a band who's in France, if you're in the U.S. We're talking about recording the singer, the songwriter. So at some point, that singer either needs to come to your studio or they need to be able to record themselves where they are, right? And is now the time to talk a little bit about how you manage to record them where they are? Um, so I'll go with my tip on that, where it's coach your client with basic recording techniques. Okay, this is very important, especially if they are, they are going to record their own vocals in their home studio. And this is something I did quite a few times. And I remember the first time I did that, it was in 2009, I believe, with a, an artist from France. And she didn't have the budget to fly down to Montreal to record her own vocals. So we did all the arrangements, recording and everything. And I actually had a lot of Skype calls with her and advise her on the equipment to buy. She wanted to invest like a nice, uh, some nice money into her home studio. She wanted to build a nice room, 
for for her to record her own vocals and but she she knew nothing about the recording aspect of it yeah. so she had a laptop a mac laptop and not even a sound card so she didn't she I didn't have recording mic. studio rock stars did she at all no because there's <laughs> none in french <laughs> and um yeah so i helped her out i coached her a lot on buying some good equipment and even soundproofing her room make sure the acoustics are not, you know, too bad to record. So, you know, eliminate all the reflections and with, you know, basic damping and stuff that you can, you know, you can easily add into a home room. So, and we, um, she, she had a, a license for a logic, which I just, I just can't stand logic. I'm not a logic guy, <laughs> um, but you know, it doesn't matter. So it's something you can record with. So use that. And I helped her out. And um, yeah, that was it. When when it was time to record the album, after a lot of uh, a few sessions, a few coaching sessions, the way I love to work when people record themselves and I'm not present, um, basically what they do first is they send me a file. They record themselves, you know, they do it like a test a run through, a test run through, and they send me the file. I listen to it, and then I can you know readjust. Uh, with them, you know, as yeah. far as the mic distance goes and a few techniques, you know, if there's a lot of civilians, you know, okay, may, you know, get a bit further away from the mic or maybe on the side or something, we're going to have to fix a few things, you know, physically. I don't want to be stuck with a lot of stuff to to fix in the mixing stage, you know, so I want the recording to be as best as possible. That's cool. And it's a yeah. learning experience. Yeah. So it's a learning experience for them. They love it. They like it. And um, yeah, so this is what I do. Well, it's really cool. I mean, I think that instinctively we might think, well, how in the world are you going to tell somebody how to record themselves? But really, when you begin to break it down, it's really quite doable. I mean, it's like if they I, I'm going to guess right off bat that you probably coach them to not record with compression. So you probably want them to record a clean. good, clean sound signal for the yep. vocal in no compression, make sure there's Nothing. plenty of headroom, but no noise, yep. you know. And then send you that, you, and then you can always treat that in the mix yourself. Exactly. No compression, no EQ. You gain stage properly, so you have to, you know, teach them about gain staging. So because they they're gonna tend to set, to send you a very hot signal. This that happens all the time. Yeah. The first test file you get, it's off the top. You know, <laughs> it's the, the signal is clipping, and it's or it's close to clipping. So you just need to coach them about gain yeah. staging. And, uh, and then they're without, like, yeah, you know, well, I couldn't hear myself. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's the classic answer. <laughs> um, and then, you so, know, yeah. another, another thought too, is that as you do a couple of these, you begin to realize, all right, now when I coach somebody on how to position themselves on the mic or do the test recording or, or try it close, try it a little further, try it a little further, it's always the same thing I'm teaching them. So probably you could make a nice little training video that you send all your clients, you know, like here's my five videos exactly. that teach you how to set up your studio and, and record yourself. And, you know, it gets easier and easier every time you do it. Yeah, that's that's actually one of the uh, the reason why I started Mixdown Online, my YouTube channel on, you know, coaching and mixing coaching, uh, like mixing, recording and yeah. music production coaching. It's, it's to, to help teach it. That's very cool. Yeah, so this is part of the reasons. But yeah, producing a video uh, for your clients is a very good idea. Yeah, of course. All right, so let's jump back for a sec. And um, I, I think you had another one where you were going to still talk about the costs of recording. But a reminder, Rockstar, that, you know, this process of teaching how to record yourself in your own studio, that's not an unexpected part of what you need to do for this remote recording. 
That's a very expected part. Of course, after you work with a client that begins to know this, you won't have to teach them anymore. They just, they get it and they start, you know, they're, they're good on their own, but initially you have to teach exactly. them. And you might initially look at that and go like, oh, how am I going to charge them for that? But remember, put a different spin on it. You're actually offering them this great service of like helping them, you know, being a, a consultant while they set up their studio, while they learn how to record their own vocal for the first yeah. time. And your clients are probably going to be thrilled about it. And thank you for billing them and teaching them how to do that stuff. So adding that but, as one yeah. of your expenses in the agreement initially is probably going to make a lot of sense. But you know what, Lich? Actually, I never charge for this. There you go. Funny right. thing. When I, That's right. Set when, me straight, Chris. Set me straight. <laughs> when, I, when, you know, when I have the gig, the entire production to work on, you know, I just coach them for free, you know, so I help them out. It's, it's part of the helping part of, you know, the project. Yeah. And the thing is, you know, like for this client especially, she ended up producing her second album with me, you know, with the same formula. And I got uh, her sisters. She has two sisters. And I work with them as well. I produce two albums for one of the sisters and maybe two songs with, uh, with the other one. So, you know, by helping them out without charging them and just by being there for them on building their studio, I ended up with uh, two or three more albums to, uh, to produce. So more yeah, work in the, in the that's end. That's very so. cool. That is essentially is the concept of over-delivering. So your client is going to be thrilled that you over-delivered this teaching and helping them get all set up and recording themselves. And I would think for any singer, it would be a thrill to have your first home studio with a mic where you're like, wow, I can just sing in my own relaxed environment whenever I want to and, you know, send the stuff to you. That's awesome. Exactly. Exactly. It's awesome. So that was one of your, that was number five there, right? Yep. Evaluate the total cost of a project before starting and including all those different elements. Did we skip anything as far as we were also sort of teaching a little bit about, uh, you know, mixing, no, we, mixing process. Are there stages of the mixing that you want to bill for differently no, or is went, it mostly we, just like one stage for you? We actually went into evaluating the cost. Yeah. I think we're at that point now. Yeah. So yeah, evaluating the total cost of a project before starting. So this is something I always do. I always give a very, it's a close estimate. Even if I charge by the hour on projects, um, the only thing that I'm flat rate is mixing and mastering. But apart from that, I, um, I'm going to go by the hour. So I'm going to evaluate the amount of hours it's going to take me to work on the production. And be clear with the client. What the client wants is, the client wants to know how much it's going to cost him in the end. Mm -hmm. So before starting the project, he wants to have a very good idea because he has a budget to follow. Yeah. So that's what I do. So I give them a very good idea. And what I do on my side, I just calculate all the hours we work. And uh, most of the time, I'm very, very pretty close to the, the actual estimate. Because at first, when I first started, I just did package deals. So meaning that I was, everything was... The price I was giving up at the beginning of the production was the final price. Mm -hmm. So I did that for years. And at some point, I just decided to just do that for mixing and mastering, but not for the actual production. Yeah, uh, just because production is a little hard to predict, right? It's, it's hard to predict, and it all depends on the client's demands. Right. You know, so, I, so this is why it's hard to predict. So what I do is I, I'm going to set up a rough estimate with, you know, the, the typical drum, guitar, bass, piano, vocal time, and, you know, stuff, stuff you see on, on regular music. And then if the client wants to have like an uh, orchestra or a violin or uh, a cello to be added up to, uh, to the project, I'm just going to add that part on, you know, basically. Yeah. But it's not going to be part of the estimate, you know. So, right. Well, so it's, it's a rough like, estimate, um, but... 
what do they say? Um, there's, there's sort of jokes about that in mastering, you know, here they're like, you know, mastering will cost you this much. And if you want to be there at the session, it's going to cost you like 10 times more or whatever, <laughs> because yeah, like, yeah I'm, I'm sort of butchering exactly. the, the, the anecdote here, but the idea is that, you know, when you're interacting with a client, you're basically giving up control of the process because you're relying on them to have some sense of like, you know, guiding you both through the process and you don't have control over it. So how are you going to come up with a flat fee for it? You know, you can come up no, with exactly. something, something, but whereas in mixing and mastering, those are things you typically do on your own. And so there's more of an yeah. opportunity to say, well, I know I can really keep it within the confines of this strategy and this, this kind of time frame yeah. and stuff. Well, that's cool. Perfect. So that's it for this point. Well, so then, um, uh, what about online tools? I know you wanted to talk about that. Yeah, I would say use use online tools to facilitate communication. Like you were saying earlier, you know, we're talking about uh, Skype, Fe Facebook Messenger video. So I have a client that loves Messenger. So we always communicate through Messenger. Of course, there's the typical phone. So <laughs> one of my clients right now, she lives in uh, L'Ile de la Guadeloupe, uh, which is in the Caribbean. It's a French island. And, you know, she always have trouble with her internet connection. So we just end up using the phone. Emails, of course, emails are emails. It works a lot. So basically on your end, what I would suggest you to uh, to have is a very good internet connection because mm -hmm. you're going to be the one initiating the uh, the calls and the Skype calls and all these uh, communication tools. Um, so, you, and you need to be available. You need to always be available. And uh, when you get an email from a client, respond ASAP. So you just need to be to 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 keep the communication part of the the project to be top notch. Right, that's sort of uh, tip number seven there, right? Which is communicate often. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. I passed the point, but yeah, it is part of that uh, point. Actually. Well, I know um, when we talk about online tools, I think that that's a really awesome moment for us to dig into some detail. So I want to jump back to tip number six there about using on online tools. Can you give us kind of a list of? You, you mentioned Messenger. You just said email. What, what email do you like to use and how, what, you know, what, what does your email world look like that keeps you organized? My email world, everything is uh, managed by Gmail. Okay. 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 So my, I don't have like a mixed down at Gmail account, you know, it's my typical mixed down online account, but it's managed by, uh, by Gmail. Okay. So it's right. very easy. So I'll link to the, uh, my Google account, link to my calendar Everything is linked, so it's very easy to manage. Yeah, and I have folders, so every time I um, I have a uh, a new client, I set up a folder in my Gmail account. So all the emails, you know, they uh, I manage to just send them right away to that folder. Okay, so, so you sort lost. of set up email rules when something comes in, yeah. it just goes right to that folder. Exactly, that's cool. So it's easy now, to manage. What about scheduling? How do you make sure that you and your client are on the same page as far as when you schedule to get together and do a little recording or, or have a Skype meeting? Now, scheduling is a bit easier, you know, opposed to working with a local artist. A local artist, you need to, you know, be available. Both of the parties needs to be available. Now, the only thing I need um, that we both need to be available is for the communication time on Skype mm -hmm. when we schedule a, a Skype call. Okay. But besides that, you know, what I'm going to tell the client to say, okay, like this week, I am going to work on this day with, you know, on this song and this song, you know, we're going to work on the recording, drum recording this week and um, guitar recording next week. So I'm just going to give them uh, the days I'm going to be working on their material and that's it, you know, and then I'm just, I'm just going to have to schedule my stuff uh, with my musicians and 
players and stuff like that. Okay, cool. So you don't necessarily have the client observing no. or listening in during the session? Never. Interesting. Fascinating. They don't, yeah, that, I think they that would have been they a don't f- need first to. question. That's great. They don't need to. You know, what I do, though, is I try to Skype uh, with them, you know, during a session just so they can meet my team. Mm -hmm. You know, so it's always cool to uh, for them to meet the team and to meet the players that are playing on their albums and their production. So that's kind of cool. But no, they they don't stay online to listen to the recording part and stuff, you know. That's cool. Yeah, that's interesting. yeah, at that point, you know, I think the most important part is the arrangement side. You know, when we're talking about phases, the arrangement and production phase, when you you first craft the album, this is the most important part for the, the client to be involved. Mm-hmm. You know, so at that point, you need to have them really involved into uh, this phase. And once, you know, that phase is over and they're happy with what came out of that phase, when it's time to recording and stuff, they trust you at that point. And you basically do uh, what needs to be done. Okay, so when you have something recorded, you are sending an MP3 to your client through email, typically, and then they would listen, and then they can sort of send you back notes, or do you meet together over Skype, and then you play the music for them in real time, and then they just respond right there over the Skype call? Yeah, exactly. I share a Dropbox folder with them. This is something I I do. So you know, these are part of my uh, my online tools to facilitate communication. So meaning that the uh, a Skype folder is something very important or Google Drive, whatever you have that you can share with the client, you like s- you need you said the a, folder. Sorry, you said a Skype folder. You mean a Dropbox folder? Oh, sorry, yeah. I mean a Dropbox. Sorry, we're yeah. jumping around, man. We're jumping, we're all over the place. <laughs> yeah, so something that is very important is to set up a Dropbox folder or a Drive, a Google Drive folder, like a remote, a cloud folder that you can share with your client. So this is what I do every time I have a song ready for them to listen to. I just drop that into the Dropbox folder. And uh, it's very easy for them to listen to the work that you do. Now, a quick question for you. How does the client know that you just dropped something in the Dropbox folder? Do they get an automatic notification about they it? Or do you have to sort of send an email following I up? Al- I, I always send an email. Okay. Okay. They, they, do, they, get, they do get a, a notification on their desktop, usually if they install the Dropbox app on their computer. Cool. But I always, you know, just by respect, I just send them an email. You know, I uh, the songs are on Dropbox and just listen to them and get back to me. All right, so they listen to the to the song and then they have some thoughts about it. How do you like exactly. them to communicate back to you with all their thoughts? Now, I open, um, I'm going to share a Google document. This is what I like to do. That document is open for each songs. And this is where we can, you know, we can put some mixed notes or production notes for them and for myself. Great. So we shared that same document. And they can easy. do that on their own time. If they're on yeah. a different time schedule, that you could be asleep and they could be sending you mixed notes. Exactly. So this is very easy. And then, you know, I check up the notes the day after. Okay, so this is what we need to do. And if there's some confusion there, just call them, Skype them. And uh, that's it. We go through the, uh, the notes together and uh, we're trying to, to fix uh, stuff up. Cool. All right. Well, so well. we got we got two more tips, right? Yep. So I would say um, tip number eight: write a guideline document to your client. So very useful, especially when you have a mixing gig. Okay. For example, uh, you need to uh, to let the client know in a document like some rules that needs to be followed. For example, you need to export your audio tracks from bar one. Even if the music doesn't start at bar one, just export or bounce all the tracks at the same start point, especially in mixing. Because, you know, 
we're not using all the same DAWs. So I think transferring, when, when it's time to transfer an audio track, audio files, like there's some rules that needs to be respected mm -hmm. to make my life easier. So I, this is what I do. I just send my client like a document, you know, stating all these suggestions. And again, it could be, you know, we live in a world of vi easy videos. You could create a series of YouTube videos that yeah. explain exactly how to do it. You could do a screen share. You could even have, if you want to, you could own like five different DAWs and, and do a little how-to with each one to show your client Definitely. how to do it. And, and if you don't, there's probably a YouTube video out there on mixdown.online because Chris has already made one for you. <laughs> yeah, that you can link them up to. <laughs> cool, man. All right, so documents for your clients, clear communication, making sure that they really understand what it is that you need. So it's like the exactly. reverse of, you know, you started with listening, listening, listening to your clients' needs. Yep. Um, but at the same time, you have to over-communicate, make it really, really easy for your client to listen to what it is that you need to help them out the most, right? Yeah, they need to know that stuff. They need to know that, that this is going to secure them anyways, because they don't want to send you anything. They don't want to send you anything wrong. They want to make sure what they send you is what you need. So uh, you need to give them the tools they need to, uh, to do so. Okay, cool. So what's our tip number nine? Yeah, the last tip of the day, I'm going to say always be friendly. Nice, man. Okay, so it sounds maybe bogus a bit, but, you know, when you're working online like that, or even with regular clients, you know, at some point you're going to build some friendships. And the attitude, your mood is very important in studio. So don't be grumpy. <laughs> you know, don't, don't be the, uh, the arrogant type of uh, sound tech. Uh, I'm you out. Know, I'm out. <laughs> <laughs> so I, you know, I, I'm a, you know, I love to laugh. You know, this is part of uh, who I am. I love to have fun when I work. It doesn't matter with whom I work with. You know, we're going to laugh at some point. We're going to have fun in the studio. We're going to, we're going to have time when, um, laughing is, um, I'm going to say it's, you end up being more productive in the end. Yeah. And it, it kind of, uh, helped the trust again. You know, I'm going to go back to point number one. If you're able to laugh at yourself and laugh, you know, in general in life and be a fun guy, people will love you for sure. Yeah. Well, gonna, they know, get, there's another thing too about doing all this communicating online and it's very, well, first of all, what we do is exhausting. It's exhausting work. There is a lot is. of stuff that we have to do where you're just too tired. You're not feeling very funny at that moment. A lot of emails we have to send, a lot of messages and online communication you know, thank God for the emoticon, right? Because yeah. <laughs> because it needs it, you know, all this messaging. It's really easy to misconstrue the mood of a message and a written message, an email or message, text message and that sort of oh, thing. Oh, yeah. No, no, exactly. No, this is something very important for me. So I'm always being positive in a way I try. And, um, you know, I love, you know, having fun with people and set up a very positive and nice mood, a relaxed mood in the studio. Yeah. All right. Well, let's take a break and we'll come back in for the jam session. Before we go though, Chris, I know you had set up something really cool for the rock stars to download. That's going to help them out with their process. You want to tell them yep. about it? Yeah, actually what I'm going to do here is I'm setting up a cheat sheet of the nine points that we shared today. Okay. So you'll be able to download this cheat sheet and keep that in your computer and you can refer to that sheet anytime you need it, especially if you want to go forward with more of, um, you want to expand your business online. 
So I'm going to note everything down in this sheet. It's going to be free for you to download at mixdown.online forward slash rockstars. Right on. Thank you so much right. for doing that. Rockstars, that's for you. So go check it out. Sometimes it's nice to just print something like this out and uh, stick it by the bathroom mirror. You know, <laughs> It's like your daily <laughs> affirmations of how to go about your work and your business. I need stuff like that all the time. So thanks for doing that, Chris. Rockstars, you'll find links to all the stuff we're talking about, including a link to the downloadable sheet sheet, uh, which will just take you right there in the show notes, which are at rsrockstars.com. And then just search for Chris Salim, S-E-L-I-M. We'll be back in a minute for the jam session. So stay tuned. Hey, everybody, it's Lid Shaw, and I want to thank you so much for listening to this episode of Recording Studio Rockstars. I really appreciate you, and I really appreciate your time. And as a way of saying thank you, I've created a special mix tutorial just for you, Rockstars, totally free, called the Mix Master Bundle. With it, you get over two hours of detailed videos watching over my shoulder as I mix a song in my studio. Plus, I give you the free ebook that explains how I recorded the tracks, and you get downloadable multi tracks so that you can practice your mixes, including the Pro Tools session file, using nothing but stock plugins in Pro Tools, all of which you would find in any other DAW, whether you're on Logic or Studio One or Reaper. Maybe you're struggling with trying to improve your mix technique, or maybe you just simply don't have access to multi track files or can't record a full drum set in your studio. I wanted to give you a chance to create your own mixes from full drum kit, bass, and guitars recorded in my studio. The song is called American Winter, and it's off my instrumental record, Skadoosh, and it's all available for you totally free right now. All you need to do to get it is text Mix Master Bundle to 33444, and I'll send it directly to your email. Again, that's Mix Master Bundle with no space to 33444, or you can go directly to mixmasterbundle.com, enter your email, and I'll send all the files directly to you. Thanks so much, Rockstars. We'll see you guys in the jam session. Cheers. Hey, Rockstars. We're back now for the jam session. My guest today is Chris Salim from mixdown.online. Chris, are you ready to jam? I am ready to jam. All right, dude. When you started out in recording, and particularly remote online production, what was holding you back? Wow. I would say, okay, even before the online production stuff, I would say knowledge. Knowledge was holding me back. I was in that band when we uh, first talked earlier. And when I quit that band, I was like, okay, I would love to, like at age 14, to be a music producer, but you know, I don't know nothing about music production. So that was holding me back in a sense. So I just decided to uh, to go through a music production program in the town I was living in at the moment. And this is what I did. I studied for a year intensively. And from that point on, I was able to start my, my production career. Cool. What about when you were starting your online production? I mean, what was the thing that was holding you back there? Because uh, that's... I think it's a remarkable thing that you're doing, and I think it's exciting. I don't know if there was anything holding me back. Um, I, you know, it just happened. You know, when you get a call from someone in France asking you to produce their album, you just do it. <laughs> and you, you, you know, you just go with the tools you, you know at the moment, and um, you do the best you can. 
to make it work. I was going to say that, you know, listening to you talk about it, when you explained that the client isn't sitting and listening the whole time, yeah. that was a big aha moment for me because when I've imagined the idea of doing remote production, I always thought like, like that's the thing that would hold me back is thinking, oh, well, how am I going to, you know, the client's got to be online and listening in and making comments and what do we do with technology and delays and everything else? And you, I like your answer. You're like, no, the client's not listening in. You just send them what you did today, you know, That's afterwards. It. That's great. But you know what? It's it's the same, you know, when you want to build yourself a house, you, you deal with a contractor. You know, what's the most important thing? To check out the plans. Once the plans are done, you leave the guy alone who's going to build your house. Yeah, you'd be stepping on nails if you were hanging around the construction exactly. site all day long, especially <laughs> somebody like me barefoot, man. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> all right. So, Chris, how about sharing some of the best advice you received? Uh, the best advice I received, I would say, I don't know it was from whom, but this is something I, getting it right at the source. Yeah. Now I'm talking about recording. I'm talking about mixing. You know, sometimes we we tend to put the mixing stage as a very important stage. It is very important, but we tend to forget that the recording stage is as much, if not more important than the mixing stage. So getting it right at the source. This is something I, this is one of the best advice um, I got. And I try to just work that out every time I'm in the recording studio. So put a lot of energy into recording, you know, giving, you know, have a very, a nice source and make sure you have good mic placement and you know experiment a lot in the, on the recording stage you know to have the best recording possible that's so true it's so true the easiest mixes are the ones that start with great tracks exactly you know if you look at tutorials on youtube or you know mix with the masters and stuff all these big mixers and stuff you know they do a lot but in another way they don't do a lot you know but they have very good material to work with yeah yeah. So, you know, that's that's why I'm very inspired to to just record the best you can, you know, the best quality recording you can. Yeah. And and make sure that when you go to mix, you deliver something to that mix process that is really sounds great already. Exactly. Don't, don't leave a bunch of crap in there. <laughs> nope. <laughs> There's nothing worse than just, you know, mixing to fix stuff. Yeah, exactly. Mixing to mixing and fixing is vexing. I don't know, something like no, that. No, exactly. <laughs> but you know, but when you have a project to mix that it's, you know, the only thing you need to do is just to to enhance stuff and to put your feelings into it and to, cr you know, be creative at the same time just to enhance. Yeah. It's, you know, it's, you're always going to have to to correct some stuff and do corrections. But if the main part of your mixing work has to do with, you know, bringing the song from, from A to Z, you know, with good tracks, good recording tracks, it's going to make your life easier, big time. Yeah. All right. Now, how about sharing a recording tip, hack, or secret sauce, something our rock stars could use in their studio today? Okay. I would say always think of the mix when you're arranging and when you're recording. I mix a lot of songs from uh, from other uh, that I didn't produce, that I didn't record. And, you know, a lot of times, you know, you, you get into a mixing session and at some point, like, you know what? I think the problem with this song is the arrangement. You know, if we had a proper arrangement, the mix would be even better. If we had proper recording, you know, a recording arrangement, for example, you know, instead of uh, having only that one guitar playing, maybe, you know, you should have doubled the guitar, you know, playing a different part, pan these, you know, that's going to help me as a mixer to pan these. So always thinking of the mix when you're doing your recording or your arrangements. 
because that has to do a lot with a mix. I'm going to spin that back to you. I wrote down a quote that we can both steal right now. So oh, yeah. don't fix your track in the mix. Fix your mix in the track. Oh, Lidge, you're going to have to send me that one it's out. A good it's one. awesome. <laughs> it's, it's an amazing one. <laughs> All right, cool. So now how about sharing a favorite hardware tool, something that you always, something physical that you just love having with you on sessions. It seems to make your sessions better. NS10s. NS10s. Oh, yeah. nice, man. I definitely <laughs> I them. have them in all my sessions, but I'm not always convinced <laughs> that they're making my sessions better. Tell us about them, though. Um, it's, it's mainly in my mixing sessions. You know, they're shitbox, to be honest with you. You know, they're just bigger shitbox than, than a regular shitbox, but <laughs> the... Uh, <laughs> The mid, you know, it's just the, the the mid side of that, you know, that sound is just so honest. It doesn't lie to you. Yeah. So that's what I like about them. About them. So I always like I do maybe seventy percent of my mixes to seventy five percent of my mixes on the NS tens. Now, what do we think about the high end on NS tens? Do we find sometimes I which, feel like I'm struggling with the high which frequencies. High yeah, which high end? Exactly. <laughs> so, like, I'm always. Sometimes I feel like I'm not adding enough high end because I'm not necessarily noticing it missing. For example, I'm just, you know, maybe that's why. Do you have a way that you sort of approach making sure that you got the right amount of low end and the right amount of high end when you're mixing on NS10s? Yep. Like you know, I'm going to use the NS10s mainly for the balance of the instruments within each other. I think that is, you know, if you 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 balance your tracks well. On the NS10s, they were probably going to be well balanced anywhere else. Mm -hmm. Now, when it comes to frequency, the NS10s are going to be good for you know anything that is in mid, the midsection of the uh, frequency range. Now, if we're talking about the the bottom and the low end, now my NS10s are hooked up to a I have a, like a small sub hooked up to them mm -hmm. uh, without any crossovers. I don't need any uh, crossover with the NS10s because there's no, you know, not much bottom anyways. So my sub is doesn't work that much. It's just for the feel. That's it. I just want to feel the bass. That is going to help me a bit to craft the bass. But I have some other speakers that I work on to to make sure that my top end is well balanced and that my low end is well balanced. And now for that, I don't use a sub uh, for the low end. For the top end, I'm gonna, you know, I have two other pairs of uh, speakers that I work with. I love my Dynaudio's M2s, which is a three-way system. A bit more bassy, you know, especially if you're used to NS10s and some other, you know, edgy speakers. But the top end, though, is very, pre I would say precise, but colored a bit. So if I have too much or not enough, I'm gonna, I'm gonna know right away in Interesting. My, uh, That's great. my M2. So yeah, I try to, at that point, I'm gonna go down to the other speakers. That's cool. That's cool. I like that. All right. So now how about um, sharing a favorite software tool, something that you, maybe it's a favorite one, maybe it's just something exciting that you're using now that you want to tell the rock stars about. Yeah. My main tool, Cubase. I oh, okay, was, cool. That's right. Yeah. I was raised on Cubase. I was, um, yeah, I, that's the tool I work. That's the, my main DAW. I have a copy of Pro Tools. I think I have Pro Tools 10. I mixed a few albums on Pro Tools. Um, you know, I work on a church on weekends and they have Pro Tools on the uh, in the recording studio. And so I do know Pro Tools, you know, a bit, but Cubase for me is my main tool. I, you know, I do everything with Cubase. For me, it's my, it's the best DAW uh, what, ever. What are things that, so, so somebody doesn't know anything about Cubase, what are some of the things that are unique about it or that make it stand out? 
Unique. Uh, now, now we're going to go into like specific features <laughs> if we're talking about unique. You know, or is there like, anything about just the way it, you know, the philosophy of how it works it, that you like really it, appreciate? Yeah, it's way different than you know, like the editing part of it is different than Pro Tools, for example. So, you know, I do photography, so I I'm used to Photoshop. And Photoshop, you know, the way they use their tools is a bit like Cubase. Cubase makes me say, uh, think of that. So it's e very easy for me to um, to work the tools in Cubase for editing. And the way, you know, they have like stack modes when you're recording and playlists, a bit like similar to the playlist, but stack modes is something that is very cool, especially when you're recording drums, uh, where you can stack your tracks. So you can record several takes and they're gonna stack up visually. You're gonna see them visually stacking up. Mm -hmm. You can uh, group them together very easily, put them in the same folder and just edit your drums, um, you know, go from one part to another and all the uh, the tracks will be linked together. It's pretty easy to work with at that point on the recording part. And the mixing stage, you know, there's a lot of stuff going on, even with stock plugins included in Cubase. It's uh, pretty awesome what they have, you know, they have like a channel strip that is apart from the inserts and so, you know, a lot of good stuff. So if someone, yeah, go ahead. Well, I, I think I recall that that originally Cubase sort of was laid out a little bit more like a mixer where you had built-in EQ and compression or something like that. Is that true? Sort of like Harrison Mixbuses does? Um, yeah, they, you they, don't they have, have to add it as a plugin? Exactly. That's the channel strip they have. That's really it, this, cool. This I think what that's, they, they call that's that. valuable stuff. Yeah, so they have an EQ. They have like three different compressors, a gate, a saturation, limiters. Uh, DSers and stuff like that, you know, directly on that strip. And you can put that strip pre-insert or post-insert if you want. Well, that's cool. All right, well, let's, let's jump forward. So now how about a resource for the business side of doing this? Um, somebody wants to do this for more than just a hobby. Do you have a resource or some advice that you want to share? If it's more than a hobby, that means you want to make money. That means you need to invoice. I'm going to say, yeah, get yourself a good invoice software. If you're cheap like me, you're probably going to do everything in Excel. Okay. <laughs> so that's my favorite tool for invoicing. So I'm just too cheap to have like a monthly payment to a, uh, a company that handles everything. I know it's pretty practical at some point, but, you know, Excel or a Google Sheet, you know, will work perfectly you know, you can add your add up your logo and stuff. You can like set up a very nice invoice, um, and yeah, that's that is. Let me ask you this: If yeah. you're already using Google Docs and you're using Google Sheets, what's the reason why you might still be using Excel or use it instead of Google Sheets? Is there a, a com compelling reason, or is it just you just happen to use them both? You know, I don't use Sheets pretty often. I mainly use Excel. All my of my invoicing was is in a uh, Dropbox folder. So my mm -hmm. wife does the accounting, so. Nice. And she does the invoicing, so that's a very good thing. There's, I used to do everything myself, but now she took over. So now is good. your wife a resource that everybody can use? <laughs> I'm just, I'm just <laughs> yeah, um, probably. <laughs> <laughs> well, groovy, man. All right, well, now how about um, sharing, uh, you know, you've already talked about it, but, you know, talked about Google Docs, but what other online organizational resources do you like to use and you want to share with the rock stars? Um, I'm a big fan of Evernote. Nice. I tell love us, Evernote. Tell us about Evernote because um, I know it. I use it occasionally, but I don't use it a lot. And I know that other people who really use it, they really love it. Tell us why yeah. why it's great. It's uh, First of all, it's uh, accessible through your phone, your iPad, your computer. You can set up a free account if you want. Now I have a paid account because I, you know, I like that 
software so much. And, you know, I write my music ideas in Evernote, the, my client, um, all the stuff I, I need not to forget about the project. I'm going to have it in uh, listed in Evernote. You can create folders and stuff. All my blog ideas, my video ideas, my YouTube channel, everything is listed into Evernote. You can actually tag, you know, you can tag all your all of your notes. So it's pretty easy to look for something you, uh, you're you looking for, you know, like a specific note that you want to go back to. You can just tag everything. And, and even then, you know, I don't use Evernote to its full potential. I'm just, you know, scratching the surface. But from what I do anyways, I love it. And I think it's very practical and easy to use. Do you find that there is a problem if the other person you're working with doesn't also regularly use Evernote? No, it's not a problem. I use it mainly for personal use, like, you know, with business and stuff, but, you know, for my own personal notes. So if, you, you can, if you've written you, something up and you want to share it with me, would you export it into an email and just send it off to me, something like that? I, I can do that, but I can actually share it directly, directly through Evernote and uh, you're going to get an email asking you to download Evernote for free. <laughs> okay. Um, <laughs> one other really cool thing about Evernote that I like a lot is it has handwriting recognition built into it. So you can take oh, a yeah. photo, you could take notes, like I've been writing handwritten notes while we're on this podcast. I can take a photograph of that, upload that into Evernote, and it will analyze all the handwriting so that if I went to go search for something we talked about, it would search it just like it was a typed in text, you know? So You're that's right. pretty hip. It's also very You're handy right. if you go to an event and you collect a bunch of business cards, you can just take photos of the business cards and it'll That's like it. organize them for you and stuff. Yeah, I do that when I at a restaurant with a client, take my bill, my invoice, you know, snap it in Evernote, take a picture. And, yeah. you know, my wife can take that afterwards to to add this to the uh, accountant side. Nice, man. Nice. Business, so. All right. So moving on, we're going into our final two questions. These are both hypothetical rock stars. You may know them well if you've been listening to the podcast. But this first one is imagining yourself having to start all over, Chris. You you leave Montreal, you and your, you and your wife, your family leave, and, and you go to some new faraway place and you need to start all over again. You decide you need a new simple setup to record with. You need to find people to make music with and you need to make ends meet or or just pretend this is advice you're giving to somebody who's, you know, young young Chris starting all over again. What would you suggest for a simple setup, affordable setup? How do you find people to make music with? And then what's a good way to make ends meet so you don't have to deliver pizzas unless delivering pizzas is your suggestion? <laughs> I would say um no, don't deliver pizza. Actually, you could. Yeah, you could to start up to, to help you get some money to pay for that simple setup. I'm going to go with a simple uh, sound interface like the Steinberg UR242, which is like 200 bucks, something very cheap, you know, that gives me access to two preamps and two line inputs as well. And uh, there's a Cubase version directly uh, available and included in that, you know, with, with this interface. So that's a basic setup. You know, I need a very good pair of headphones. I would go with a DT770 like you're wearing right now from Bayer Dynamics. Yeah. Give me that pair of headphones. Give me a Rode microphone, you know, a cheap Rode condenser microphone that is affordable, a 57, you know, that you is good for to record a lot of stuff. You can a do sure, a lot a with sure a 57. SM 57, yeah. Yep. And uh, you can also use it to hammer nails and build your studio. <laughs> exactly. And a basic keyboard controller, you know, nice. and 
and you use whatever is available into your DAW, the one you work with, the one that you have access to. Well, so what I like about what you just described and throwing in the keyboard controller is it's implicit that with that controller and virtual instruments, you can actually record and create tracks. And with a simple setup like that, you could literally start your online remote production business. Exactly. With nothing more than that. You could That's still it. teach people how to record their own vocals somewhere else. Yep. You can record all the tracks, you know, virtually. You can still record yourself doing, you know, there's nothing. Yeah, exactly. That's, there's no rule that says you can't record your drums with two mics. In fact, that's the mixer man technique. Um, yeah. and <laughs> I even right. talk about that in my rock stars of drums course, but you could really produce full tracks with a very simple setup like that. If you're playing individually, one thing at a time Yeah, and, uh, and build it that way. So now how about finding people to record? I would pr probably find where is the hypest place in town where people and musicians meet. Nice. That's what I would do. Yeah. So I would probably go and uh, maybe down, you know, take a look at the uh, what's available downtown, uh, the bars, the music halls, or whatever, you know, whatever there's a band playing or an artist playing. I would go there and make friends, basically. Now, I, w I wouldn't get any business cards whatsoever. Just go and make friends. Yeah. So that's for your local scene. Now, what about if you want to start finding people online to produce remotely? I would not. Now it's hard for me to say because I was lucky enough to. My business was based on word to mouth, you know? Mm -hmm. So this is how I got my, my clients overseas. By producing people locally first that were playing overseas. And people heard, you know, these productions and called me. That's the way I went into uh, working on the uh, international level. Now, if I was to redo do that again, you know, I would be aggressive on social media. I would do like I do for my YouTube channel. I'm kind of doing the same thing all over again, but, you know, on a different perspective, different level mm -hmm. with my YouTube channel. So it's just a matter of being present on social media, uh, share, you know, whatever you need to share, document your life and put that on, uh, on YouTube, put that on social media and create, create your craft. I would say write music, record yourself and put that on SoundCloud, you know, make that available for everyone to hear. And yeah, talk about what you do and try to uh, to get into special Facebook groups and, you know, try to get some connections out of that and friendships out of that. Yeah, well, I liked how your story took you to France initially and you met people and made connections. And then I imagine that f from there, it grew through sort of word of mouth and people knowing each other and spreading, you know, that the network of your relationships. And I had this vision while you were telling this story right now and, and remembering that of, you know, somebody younger, having a really portable studio and thrown in a backpack and just traveling, you know, it's like, if you can kind of, <laughs> exactly. if you can kind of find the local scene and local people as you're backpacking around, who knows, maybe you're making ends meet could just be busking on the street for a while, you know? <laughs> hey man, this is a freaking nice image. I like that. Yeah. Yeah. You travel <laughs> around with a simple portable recording studio, you busk, you meet other musicians everywhere you go. And then you just build this network and stay in contact with them while you continue to travel and you start producing yeah. tracks for them wherever you are, you know? And rea the reality is that it's pretty easy to do it this day these days. Yeah. You know, it's pretty easy to get a simple setup and backpacking and from town to town. Um, all right. So now here's the final question for you, Chris. Yeah. This hypothetical is, well, we're going to take the studio way back machine 
and go back in time. <laughs> We're going to find young Chris. You're hanging out. I don't know what you're doing, skateboarding, um, uh, ice fishing. I don't know what you guys do up there. <laughs> <laughs> ice fishing, nice. Um, uh, not skateboarding. You'd be playing hockey, of course. Probably building an igloo. Building an igloo. <laughs> All right. So we're going to go and we're going to knock on young Chris's igloo. Hopefully you don't knock one of those ice squares <laughs> in and it lands on your head. And then you come and you come to the door of your igloo and you look at it and say, older Chris, what are you doing here? And you say, well, I've young Chris, I've come here to give you this one bit of advice. Here's the single most important thing you need to know about to become a recording studio rock star yourself one day. What advice would you give yourself, Chris? Okay, I would say don't spend on equipment based on your emotions. Nice. But okay, that's how we would... shop. That's it's all around yeah, emotions. That, yeah, that's how you get in trouble too. But <laughs> yeah, so that happened to me when I had my my the, the studio I'm in right now, when I had that build. I made some if I had to redo that studio again, I would have done that differently. For instance, you know, I First of all, when I bought my uh, Dynaudio M2s, they're nice boxes, nice speakers, but I bought them, you know, because I follow, I followed the advice of the person who, you know, made the plans, the studio plans. Mm -hmm. He was, you know, telling me that, you know, you need these boxes and they need to be in a soffit wall, you know? Oh, they so they're big be... speakers. They're big, uh, big wall monitors. Yeah, they're wall, mo yeah, they're not like super big, but still, they're you know, they're, you know, yeah, exactly. And honestly, I would say they're might you know they're a bit too big for you know from now that I think of it, they they are a bit too big. And the thing is, it cost me a lot of money to first you know buy these speakers without even trying them. Yeah, because you know it was like so emotional about you know buying new speakers, the new studio. I need the new speakers, and I need they need to be in the wall, stuff it in the wall, and you know it needs to be done that way because that guy told me so. Right. You know, so I was all emotional about that and I just made the purchase and you know, just building that wall was crazy expensive, you know, so I could have saved a lot of like a lot of money just if I would just buy a normal pair of speakers instead, <laughs> you know, and I ended up, you know, they ended up sounding so bad, stuff it in the wall. Oh, no. That I just needed to just, you know, bring them on the on normal um, speaker stands. Interesting. Wow. So, yeah, they, didn't, so they really weren't tuned well in your room. No, at all, at all. So it was a, uh, you know, a mistake and uh, that cost me a lot. And uh, that's it, you know, so that I was, this is what I would, I would tell myself if I, uh, if I went back in time. Nice. Well, I mean, you know, you ended up with a pair of NS10s and that was maybe a little bit more of a practical yeah. decision that, you know, if you look out in exactly. the world, it's like everybody's got NS10s. So no, exactly. Maybe so I have that and get, I have get a what pair everybody's of got, you know. No, exactly. So, and they're like, it's a different world than the Dyn Audios. Yeah. And um, yeah, so I should have, you know, at that time I should have kept the uh, the BM-15 I had before. The other pair of Dyn Audios I sold to get these ones. And, but, you know, they cost me too much for... <laughs> I don't have Dyn Audios, but I do like them. And I, and I have friends who have them and I always enjoy listening. And I like how they kind of hype up the sound a little bit, you know? Yeah, they do. They do sound good though. I'm happy I'm, I'm you know, I'm happy to mix in them. Yeah, and but it's only you know the construction side of the the wall made for these speakers that didn't work out. It cost a lot, you know. Yeah. So well, you, you know, can some put stuff. some potted plants in those soffits, maybe. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I, 
I'm uh, going to do something with these holes. So, well, good but, advice, yeah. Chris. Good advice. So, rock stars, don't make your purchases based on emotion. No. Even though secretly we all make our purchases based on emotion. I but, know, but at least you know, try to 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 you know to be emotion emotional on cheap stuff. Yeah, exactly. Emotional on cheaper, more affordable stuff. Pause if you know if you're going to buy something. Maybe don't make it too impulse. Maybe uh, maybe decide think about it for a second. You know. Yeah. Um, wait a week. Wait, wait a, a week. Few yeah. days. Wait What's a few days. Give yourself a moment to thought. At least wait 24 hours if you can. And, you know, just, uh, you know, one of the things that helped me out is because I spent all my money on everything just for gear for a long time. It's all I did. I didn't save anything. And I, it's still hard to do, quite honestly. But <laughs> it is. But uh, there was a point at which I just stopped buying gear because I, I had enough, you know, and it was like I realized that. I made a decision that for me and my studio, every time I bought a new piece of gear, it couldn't be me buying the gear. It had to be my clients because I'm making music professionally for people. And that's where the money has to come from, you know, exactly. unless, unless you want it to be your hobby. If you want it to be your hobby, then, you know, Godspeed. And that's fine. Don't worry about it. Just enjoy yourself. Yeah, but it's an, it's an expensive hobby. I'm telling you. Yeah. All right. Well, cool. Chris, thanks so much for being on Recording Studio Rockstars with us. Let our listeners know how they can find you, how they can follow you. And then also remind us where we can check out this fantastic cheat sheet that you've created for us. Yeah. Again, you can download that at mixdown.online forward slash rockstars. And you can meet me on YouTube. You know, if you look uh, YouTube forward slash Mixdown Online. That's my YouTube channel where I share music production and mixing and recording tips for uh, music creators. You know, and if you're a Cubase lover and you like Cubase, you're going to be well served on my YouTube channel because this is my main tool. So, you know, I have a, a lot of videos where I share some Cubase tips and stuff. So this is where you can meet me on YouTube and on social media. You can meet me on Instagram and Twitter at uh, I am Chris Salim, and you can meet me on Facebook forward slash Mixdown Online and my website Mixdown.online. Nice. Well, Rockstar is lucky for you. I'm going to include links to all this stuff also in the show notes, which you can find just at rsrockstars.com and then just search for Chris Salim, S-E-L-I-M. And uh, once again, Chris has kindly created the nine tips on recording, mixing, and producing clients remotely cheat sheet for you. So if you wrote down all the stuff we talked about, wonderful. If you want to just go download this sheet and have it nicely organized for you, it's going to have his nine points and then all these details about it embedded within. So great stuff. Chris, thanks again for being on Recording Studio Rockstars. You rock, dude. I look forward to seeing more of you around the studio. We got to meet in person. Hopefully I'll see you at Summer Nam. Yeah, I'm planning to come down, Lidge. It's going to be right, fun to meet you. Right. Oh, yeah. Party time. <laughs> oh, for sure. <laughs> hey, thanks, my friend. It was amazing. It was fun to be on the podcast. Thanks All right, again. Chris. Cheers, man. Thanks so much for listening to Recording Studio Rockstars. If you enjoyed the show and want to help make it better, please leave a rating and review on iTunes to help reach more people. You can click directly over to iTunes or go to recordingstudiorockstars.com slash review for an easy explanation. And if you want more free content, all you have to do is text RS Rockstars to 33444. Again, that's RS Rockstars to 33444. And I'll keep you in the loop with articles, videos, and podcast updates. And I'll let you know about any upcoming giveaway offers, all totally free. Thanks for listening. I'm Lid Shaw, and this is Recording Studio Rockstars. 
Now, go make great music. Music.